Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris. There's been a lot of news going around, a lot of interesting developments, and the playoffs are just getting close to wrapping up. We are going in to the NFC and the AFC Championship this weekend. So let's get started with the episode. First off, I want to talk about is kind of something that was a little bit more, what's it called? A little more uh, recent. So... If any of you have seen that the Buffalo Bills played the Cincinnati Bengals this past weekend, the Buffalo Bills lost the game. And one of the bigger things uh, that was noticed was Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs was reportedly, he left the locker room before anybody else, the coaching staff or any other players arrived. And practice player Duke Johnson, the running back, had to go get him and bring him back to the locker room and then obviously meet with the coaching staff, and then he still took off. He was still one of the first people to leave. And I believe he went to Twitter and said that, I believe, I'm paraphrasing here, I might, but I'm not sure really if I'm right about this quote or not, but he said, do, do you want, do I, should I feel good about winning or losing, or should I feel good about losing? Nah. And I agree with him. It is frustrating. This is the third time that the Buffalo Bills had a chance to at least make the AFC Championship, and they have not made it, or at least do go farther into the playoffs. And it didn't happen. First, it was the whole um, overtime rules that the NFL had, and they had to implement changes. And then it was Cincinnati, and now it's this with Cincinnati. Uh, now it's this year again with Cincinnati. And I'm sorry, it wasn't with Cincinnati last year, but uh, but like I said, they were they haven't been as successful as they want to be, and it's showing frustration. And Stefan Diggs was definitely frustrated with how the game went this past this past weekend and not only just you saw it on the field like there were a couple times where Josh Allen threw a pass to Stefan Diggs and he was you could tell he was frustrated because he was yelling at Josh on the field telling him to make a better pass or you don't have to throw it low to the ground and I have to go dive and get it you can give it to me standing up uh, miscommunication and then you can clearly see on the sideline he was yelling at Josh Allen while Josh Allen was just kind of sitting there looking over the tablet and kind of like reflecting on what's going on, you can just clearly see how frustrated Stefan Diggs was about what happened. And like I said, I don't blame him. It is frustrating because they have a good enough team. Josh Allen is a top five quarterback. He's and Stefan Diggs is definitely one of the best in the NFL to do it. So it is I understand it's very frustrating that you have a great team, but you're not getting farther than mostly the divisional round. And you're seeing like Patrick Mahomes team, uh the Kansas City Chiefs, who is definitely not as good as they were last year, but they're still making it to the AFC championship. So I can understand where it's getting frustrating. And now the Cincinnati Bengals are on the rise right now, especially just coming off winning an AFC championship last year and now possibly getting another chance to go to the Super Bowl again. It's very frustrating for a player to understand that I play at this high of a level. I have a quarterback that plays at this high of a level, you know, and it's definitely just, it doesn't feel good still losing the game, especially at home. You have home field advantage and they lost the game. And that has to feel a whole lot worse because you are at home, you're in front of your home crowd, and you get your butts kicked by the Cincinnati Bengals, who is not a bad team by any means. Joe Burrow is great, but it is frustrating because it should have been a closer game, and the fact that you had home field advantage, you already have a three-point you know, three advantage over the other team if you look at it. But 
we are going to have to see. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Stefan Diggs. I don't know if he may want to stay or not. Or maybe want to go somewhere else. I highly doubt he's going to go anywhere else. I don't think Stefan Diggs is going to want to trade just because he does like playing with Josh Allen. But they are definitely going to need to fix something in Buffalo because it, the frustration is growing and growing. And there's only so much being done. And now you're seeing your star players show that frustration. Next up, Bill O'Brien has been hired as the new offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. Congratulations. No more Matt Patricia. So to give a little background of Bill O'Brien, he did he was the head coach for the Houston Texans. He was the one that played with Deshaun Watson. He did go to Alabama after being let go. I believe he uh, started coaching for Alabama in 2021. He did coach Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, who's probably going to be a top draft pick this year. And it's definitely a big upgrade compared to Matt Patricia, especially how poorly the offense was run this past year for the New England Patriots. So I think Bill O'Brien coming in is definitely going to be a fresh, like a kind of a good fresh air coming in, especially helping Mac Jones. I think that's definitely going to be the priority for the New England Patriots this year is because, you know, Bill, Bill Belichick, he's he's a defensive mind guru. We've seen it. He can make a great defense out of players that are probably not not the highest, you know, highest regard players out there in their position, and he can make them into all pros. We've seen him do that. We've seen him do that when he was when Brady was there, and a little bit without Brady. And really, what they're missing is the offense. They have a quarterback that they believe in in Mac Jones, and now they just need a coordinator that can actually run good plays and not just run the ball and halfback screens 90% of the time and making your offense predictable. I think Bill O'Brien definitely brings that, especially just coaching a Heisman Trophy winner. I think that's definitely going to be a big boost, especially also learning more under Nick Saban, the, you know, the Bill Belichick of the college football world. And now him bringing, bringing his expertise and learning a little bit more under Nick Saban is definitely going to help the New England Patriots at least level up their their offense this year i will say though i did see that jacoby myers is up as a free agent this year uh, for wide receivers so if they can somehow keep him i think they're going to be just fine i think jacoby myers did uh played well enough to at least be a, a number one wide receiver for the team aside of that weird fumble uh debacle that they pulled at the uh one of the games at the end of the season but he made i, I could see the patriots signing him back i don't think he'll get a giant contract however but i do think he will come back at least now with Bill O'Brien coming in and at least making life a little bit easier for Mac Jones and probably fixing up the offense. So New England Patriots, I want to, let me know what you guys think about Bill O'Brien coming in. In my opinion, definitely a big upgrade for Matt Patricia running the offense. Maybe he'll move out to defense. Or I'm not really sure what they're going to do with him. But congratulations to New England Patriots. You guys got yourself a new offense of coordinator for the next season. Next up, uh, Ravens offensive coordinator leaves uh greg roman has i believe he resigned from his duties from the baltimore ravens and i think it's a big concern i think it is because the baltimore ravens have lamar jackson and he's a great quarterback but we have to remember that greg roman at least kind of showed the potential that he has and here's what i mean by that now if any of you know greg roman actually coached for the 49ers before arriving to the ravens and he actually coached Alex Smith, who was going to be a bust, believe it or not, before he arrived and helped his career, Alex Smith was not playing well for the majority of the time he was there. And Greg Roman helped elevate his game and bring out that full potential that he had. And then, next one up was Colin Kaepernick. He was able to level up Colin Kaepernick to be the all-pro quarterback that we saw, to be that electrifying 
quarterback that you know that level of playing he had you know with his feet and with his arms we saw how well they did you know and obviously after greg roman left colin kaepernick's play was not the greatest you know towards the end of his career and now greg roman when he got lamar jackson he did bring out all that you know all that fire within lamar jackson he was able to run a system where it benefited lamar jackson now with him gone i am curious about first of all who they're going to bring in to help uh, with the offense, because I know one of the bigger things is that not a lot of wide receivers want to go to the Baltimore Ravens. And we can see that because they, all they do is run the ball. I think that was one of the biggest things with Greg Roman's offense was that he was running the ball heavily. So if you're a running back that wants a paycheck, that was the offense to go to. You know, or if you want to earn yourself a paycheck, that was the offense to go to because you'll have a ton of chances to get that. And now with him gone, it's going to be interesting to see what the Baltimore Ravens are going to do you know, with the offensive coordinator and with if they can even sign Lamar Jackson this uh, going into next season. They may, but I mean, it's going to it's gonna really depend on how much they're willing to pay for Lamar Jackson. He was a unanimous MVP. We've seen him get to the playoffs. He won a playoff game. So it's not that he's a bad quarterback and they should question everything. It's a matter of if the Baltimore Ravens are going to pay him. Now, obviously, they, play, they paid Roquan Smith, who has earned his money, and they're more of a defensive team. But Lamar Jackson is an all-pro, he's a pro bowler, won an MVP, I think they should make a push to sign him, but now Lamar Jackson's probably going to think, well, my offensive coordinator that put me at the level where I'm at is gone. Who are you going to replace him with? And I think if it's not a good offensive coordinator or if it's somebody else that Lamar Jackson may not like, he may not return to the Ravens. I can see that happening because, you know, they put in a system that can benefit him to use all of his skills his skill sets to make him successful and they just took the one head coach that was doing that or not the head coach offensive coordinator away from Lamar Jackson so it's going to really depend on who they get to replace Greg Roman and it's going to be a long road ahead before they can even worry about signing Lamar Jackson to a long-term contract especially since Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent I believe he's representing himself I think that makes life a little bit more uh, harder because you know he's going to be so fixed-minded on what he wants and the price tag he is going to put on himself, and there might be some teams willing to pay it. Don't get me wrong. There probably will be teams that want to pay that kind of money to get Lamar Jackson, but if the Baltimore Ravens want to keep him, I would I would very cautiously look at who you're going to get for offensive coordinator because that's probably going to depend on who, you know, whoever you get for OC this upcoming season is going to depend if Lamar Jackson will stay with you because, as I said, Greg Roman set up Lamar Jackson to, be, to play at the potential that he had, you know, to play at that high level because even... In the draft, keep in mind, Lamar Jackson got skipped all the way to the end of the first round. He got skipped by the Baltimore Ravens and most of the NFL. You know, and then obviously the Ravens got the pick back and they got him with the last pick in the first round of that night. And so it's not like he was, you know, a top-rated pick. You know, he was at the end and everyone skipped on him. A lot of analysts and uh, draft um, draft professionals they were saying that he should switch over from quarterback to running back, and he just absolutely refused. And I think it was a good move on him just because, you know, he showed that he could play, you know, at such a high level at the quarterback position. But now with the offensive coordinator who was setting him up for success is gone, now it's going to depend if Lamar Jackson is going to want to stay. So we'll have to wait for what Baltimore is going to do and see which OC they're going to bring in for the next season. And then probably worry about Lamar Jackson now I think that they should probably worry a little bit more about Lamar Jackson but for sure you need to get a good play caller going into next season and then handle Lamar Jackson
Next up, this one is a little bit more of a kind of an issue thing that was kind of brought up. And I thought it was very interesting. Um, so the Cardinals' new general manager, uh, Monty Austinfort, he uh, said in a statement saying, uh, kind of, I'm paraphrasing here, that to leave your ego at the door. Now, this is the new uh, Arizona Cardinals' new general manager. And that quote alone means, you know, tells me he means business. And who I think that quote is, is directed to is definitely directed to Kyler Murray. Because... From afar, everyone saw what the Arizona Cardinals went through this off this past offseason with Kyler, him holding out the childish acts, you know, taking the pictures off his Instagram, uh, going quiet, going dark uh, for the Arizona Cardinals, possibly holding out for a new contract, and then he got a new contract, and now they he didn't even play most of the season, got Cliff Kingsbury fired, and now the Arizona Cardinals are giving him say on who they're going to hire for the new head coach. And what I'm seeing is that Kyler Murray is getting a lot of power in the Cardinals organization. And now with this new GM coming in and him saying that statement, you know, leave your ego at the door. I think that's a good step for for at least management of the Arizona Cardinals because it was starting to seem like they were appeasing uh, Kyler Murray because of, you know, wanting him to get involved in who's going to be the new head coach. You know, what they're going to do, you know, letting in Kyler Murray on all their day-to-day stuff. And now with this new GM coming in and kind of talking about like you know we're gonna run our we're gonna run this organization, but like you're not gonna pull any of these childish tactics or you know all this petty action that was going on in the offseason. And it's definitely a direct message to Kyler Murray because even though he's their you know their highest paid player on the team right now, this general manager means business, and you can tell you know just in that quote that he is not gonna take any kind of childish antics from Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray has to buckle up for this one because this general manager seems like he is not going to let Kyler Murray get control and take over the organization because we have seen what happens when players start to take over and you start appeasing this as I'm, and I'm saying this because I'm referring to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers because they let him get all the power and they've seen what's going, you know, and we all see what's going on. And it's exactly what's kind of happening to Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals is that they're trying to make Kyler so happy and make sure he doesn't go anywhere and make sure you know he doesn't try to delete all his pictures from instagram or anything like that and it's leading the the organization to give him all that power and give him all the say in it and that's not good to give the some a player like that all that kind of power because then he will hold that over your heads and he will hold the organization hostage and you definitely don't want that because especially if you're trying to move on from him, you're going to not be able to just because of all these things. You're going to go through multiple head coaches. If Kyler Murray does not like him in the middle of the season and they got to, you know, shuffle for more. It's just a recipe for disaster is kind of what I'm getting at here with giving Kyler Murray all that kind of power. And now with his GM coming in, not letting him get all the power that the, that the organization is trying to give Kyler. It's going to be kind of a power, a power struggle, you know, going into next season. But, you know, good, good for Monty for stepping up to Kyler Murray. Next up, this one's kind of more of an opinion thing that I've thought about after kind of hearing what happened uh, this past week with Aaron Rodgers. And this is probably going to sound like a rant, so I apologize for that, but I just I have to talk about this. So last week, Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show. Now, before I continue with that, I want to do I want to say that I am a big fan of the Pat McAfee show. He is very hilarious. The guys uh, he has in that office are hands down funny. They're very intelligent. I love the way they do their shows. Obviously, they talk about sports and all that, but they, you know, implement, you know, some funny things and they do, kind of, you know, 
lavish things aj uh, aj hawks on the show and it's it's just great i i'm a big fan of it i watch the show myself so i have no no hate for the show and i definitely don't blame them for what's going on i really don't and i don't want anyone to think that I, i'm a big fan of the pat McAfee show and they do not have a fault in what's going on this is where i have the issue so aaron Rodgers goes on the pat McAfee show and they usually do like a seg- like a day segment when he hops on there, when he's available, or if he just wants to air out all the dirty laundry going out with the Green Bay Packers. Here's my problem. So this past weekend, he was quoted saying that he feels that he can win more, uh, a couple more MVPs. And my problem with that is not that he wants to win MVP. It's the fact that he only cares about himself. And... We, you know, it's pretty evident when we, when you hear that, uh, when you hear him say that, because if I'm an NFL quarterback, I'm not care. I don't care about the MVP. I'm thinking of championships. I mean, if he said anything different along the lines of, yeah, I feel like in the right situation, I can win a couple more Super Bowls. Then that sounds a whole lot better. Cause it's like, okay, we know where his mindset is. He wants to win the Super Bowl. He doesn't. And from what we saw from the show is that he basically stating that he only cares about Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't care about the organization and he's he's basically holding the Green Bay Packers hostage and we we we're seeing it. And it's getting frustrating because when you do that to an organization, you're only hurting them and you're hurting yourself. Now, there have been some people saying like, well, everyone takes that quote out of context. Everyone is saying, "Oh, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers, did, you know, if you listen to uh, completely what he said, you know, he didn't mean, you know, he only cares about MVPs. Well, hold on a second, because we've had some other issues with Aaron Rodgers. Now, that's not the only first incident. He's had this before, you know, a couple of times when he gets frustrated with the team or the organization or players. He goes on the Pat McAfee show and complains about it. He doesn't go take it to the players. He doesn't take it to Matt LaFleur, the head coach. He doesn't go to management. He goes on to the Pat McAfee show and just complains about things. You know, he'll say like, well, you know, if we're in a better situation or my teammates played any better, we probably win games. It's like, no, that's not completely true because we saw this past season he did not play well. The biggest indicator was the final game against the Detroit Lions. He did not play good. He made bonehead throws. He did not have a good season. He, even though he likes to praise himself, saying that he, you know, claiming that he's smarter, not claiming, but like kind of giving that attitude of I'm smarter and better than everyone, when it's clearly not true. And there has been times on the record where he, you know, points at the wide receiver, telling to tell him he didn't run the route right, you know, or he's not there on time. When it was like, no, Aaron Rodgers, you messed up the throw. There are times where Aaron Rodgers did not throw a good pass, and he still blamed his receivers or the running backs for not running the routes correctly. And some of the cases, maybe it's true, because there have been times where there has been miscommunication, don't get me wrong. And I don't think you'd ever dispute that. But there are times where it was blatantly Aaron Rodgers' fault. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't take accountability for himself. And with, with this, and him going on the Pat McAfee show and just airing out the dirty laundry with everybody on the show, and then now, you know, it just gets chaotic... This is just the result of the Green Bay Packers giving Aaron Rodgers so much power in that organization. You know, now to today, everyone's wondering, is he retiring? Is he going to leave? Does he want to trade? Well, he doesn't have many much options. Other options, either trade or stay or retire. And, 
you know, he's not going to retire because he's not going to leave all that money that he was guaranteed on the table. You know, if he wants to stay, you know, they're probably going to, you know, the Green Bay Packers are probably going to kiss his butt and try to make the life better for him, which, in my opinion, is what the organization should not be doing because they're giving Aaron Rodgers all the help they can get. They got Randall Cobb from the Houston Texans to help him, you know, try to help that offense. They drafted Christian Watson. They're getting him players. He's not producing. That's the problem. There have been times during the season and in playoff games where he's choked. And we've seen it. And So it's not like, you know, it's not like he's, you know, in the MVP conversation every year. That's not what it is because there are times where he's not in the conversation. You know, I know he won back-to-back MVPs. You know, he's won, he won a Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl he won was such a long time ago. And he has not reached one since he won since he won a Super Bowl, he has not been to the big dance ever since then. And with that, to kind of keep it going, he, the biggest thing I have a problem with is he claims that he's okay with the organization moving on. I don't buy it. I don't. Like, I don't believe he truly means that he is okay if the Packers want to go with Jordan Love and move on from him. Because this is how he works. This is how he's worked for a while. You know, for the past couple of years, he com- you know contemplates should I retire? And then the but then the Green Bay Packers come back to him asking, "What can we do, Aaron? What do you want us to do? Do you need another wide receiver? Do you need this? Do you need that?" You know, he wants the Green Bay Packer and Packers Nation to come back crying to Aaron, asking him to save Green Bay football. When in reality, he's just hurting the organization. That's all he's doing with his antics and how he is acting and, you know, going on the Pat McAfee show to complain about what's going on with him and all that stuff, you know, leaving cryptic messages about him possibly retiring or him possibly moving on and him trying to say, well, I'm okay. if the organization wants to go, if the Green Bay Packers want to go with Jordan Love, I'm okay with it. I don't think that's true. I highly doubt that. He is a very prideful man from what we've seen outside of the football field. And he, I do not believe, I do not buy that. I think that, he is daring the Green Bay Packers to move on from him. He is essentially trying to dare them to go to Jordan Love, and he knows he's going to rub it in their face if they if this quarterback that they drafted in the first round that they believe is a successor to Aaron Rodgers fails. That is what Aaron Rodgers is waiting for, to see if they do move on. And I believe so. There have been sources saying that they have been fed up with his play. They did not like how he played this season, and they might want to get rid of him. Will they pull the trigger, though, is another question. And... I don't know if they will just because they've appeased Aaron Rodgers for so many years. They've let him hold the organization captive. You know, even though he keeps saying, no, I do not hold the, I do not want to hold the organization captive. I do not want, you know, to make the Green Bay Packers feel that they're trapped. But that's not true because we've seen, because we've seen what's going on. He is trapping that organization. And every time he keeps contemplating uh, retirement or he wants to maybe get traded, leave those cryptic messages and see, you know, keep everyone guessing. All it is is just to get more power. He wants the organization to come back saying, no, Aaron, please don't leave us. You know, what do you want? It's kind of like, you know, that's that, you know, kind of like going back to somebody, you know, isn't good for you, but you want to go back to them anyways. And that's kind of what Aaron Rodgers is kind of playing at here. He wants Green Bay to come, you know, on hands and knees begging Aaron not to retire because they're too scared to pull the trigger and just go with Jordan Love. And I think that's going to hurt the organization going forward, especially if Aaron Rodgers continues to play. And another thing that I have with the complaining on the Pat McAfee show, he decided to stay. He took the money from the Green Bay Packers that offered him that long-term contract. He came back and played. And then they got him, they tried to get him more weapons to help him out. 
I don't know what other situation he wants to be. I don't know if he wants the Patrick Mahomes situation. I don't know if he feels like he should be like what Cincinnati's got going on or what it is, Devontae Adams leaving, whatever the case may be. I don't know what other situation he wants. He has an organization coming hands and knees, you know, asking, what do you want us? What do you want us to do? What do you need from us to make your life easier on the field and get you to stay with the Green Bay Packer organization? I don't know what else Aaron Rodgers wants. And that just frustrates me because, you know, I can understand you want to get your money. You know, you can understand, I can understand like maybe you want a contract, but when you just want to hold an organization like that and just make sure they do not move on from you or you don't give them a chance to, it's just what doesn't sit right with me. And I think that's what, you know, I truly believe that's what Aaron Rodgers is doing. And there's, there's not much else you can really, I can really say about that. And that's just kind of my rant about Aaron Rodgers and what he is doing with the organization. But in due time, we will see if he wants to leave, get traded, or retire. It, it's gonna. We're just gonna have to, you know, wait and see what the organization wants to do and what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. Next up, so the next topic, we're gonna be talking about the divisional round and all the games that happened. First off, we gotta start with the hard one here: the Dallas Cowboys versus the 49ers. <laughs> The Cowboys would fall to the 49ers 12 to 19. I'm going to start with the 49ers first because there's a lot I have to say about what happened to the Dallas Cowboys. A lot. And it, it's going to take a minute. Brock Purdy. Uh, he was 19 for 24, 214 yards. I will say, though, I, this is what I'll say. I would think it's a little bit of a cause of concern that the offense was not able to be as dominant. The Dallas defense held them to only 19 points when they averaged about 36.9 points per game. And they were held to below 20. And they didn't score a touchdown to the end of the game. And what I'm thinking is that that's a little bit of a concern because we saw how dominant that offense could be with Brock Purdy running the show and what they've done to set him up. And what the concern is to me is that people are going to start to figure out how they're running their offense. Obviously, Dan Quinn set up the Dallas Cowboys to run that, you know, to guard against the, that offense. The only issue, really, that the Cowboys had was that they weren't getting to Brock Purdy fast enough. They were letting him, you know, kind of relax in the pocket and, you know, get, you know, hit George Kittle on a wide open in the middle uh, route or anything like that. And they, but they, but on the other hand, Brock, you know, Brock Purdy wasn't, it wasn't doing well. You know, he didn't play his best game that we've seen. We He didn't play at that dominating level that we've been seeing for the past, you know, couple months. And I think it's a little bit of a concern because obviously after a while, people are going to figure out how to beat that offense. And the Dallas Cowboys kind of showed that you can beat that offense. That they're that if you have a good enough defense that follows the, you know, follows the the rules that they that the defensive coordinator put in place or what they you know what coverages to stay in to make sure no one gets open or if you're a defensive lineman that you know when the 49ers run that weird play action play and the you know the defensive end and the linebacker know to stay home do not let that running back get open because they're trying to get it to their playmakers you know and make sure the pass rushers get there you can stop that offense and i think that's what the cause of concern is because the offense that the 49ers run is you know kind of fits with Brock Purdy's play style you know he could you know run outside the pocket he's very elusive and what the Cowboys did was they stopped them and I think that's a that's a little bit of a concern because the Dallas Cowboys defense and Dan Quinn put up a good you know put in a good defensive strategy against that offense and that's going to be a little bit of concern going up against the Philadelphia Eagles who are on fire right now so 
I think that's a little bit really on the 49ers, in my opinion. The defense still played amazing. They've been amazing all year, and they, they will have their hands full going into next, uh, this upcoming weekend, but we'll get to that. But I'm going to be moving to the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'm going to start with the obvious. Dak Prescott, 23 for 37, 206 yards, one TD, two interceptions. Who do I blame for the loss? It's, it's plain and obvious. It's Dak Prescott. That's who I blame for the loss. And here's why. The defense played outstanding, like I said earlier. They let they didn't even let uh, Christian McCaffrey get over 100 yards rushing. Elijah Mitchell did not get over 100 yards rushing. They were able to hold Brock Purdy in the offense. When Dak turned the ball over, they only allowed field goals the whole time. Um, I believe the second one, it wasn't a field goal, but I know the first interception that Dak threw, the defense came up big and only allowed a field goal. There's not much more you can ask out of a defense going up against a really dominant offense who averages 36 points per game uh, over the past, or ever since Brock Purdy took over, they've averaged about 36 points a game and they held them to only 19 points the whole game and only one touchdown that whole night. All the other scores have come off field goals. So there's not much else you can ask from the defense. The defensive pass rushing was getting to Brock Purdy or at least putting pressure. The coverage was good enough to at least... To at least stop the 49ers. So there's not much else you can ask. Tony Pollard broke his fibula uh, in the first uh, late in the first quarter, I believe, and he was out for the rest of the game. Ezekiel Elliott, there's only so much he can do. CeeDee Lamb had a great game on his own. He had over 100 yards and I believe over 10 receptions the whole game. So And Kevontae Turpin on special teams, I believe he got 104 rece uh, return yards altogether. And I believe uh, they were able to re recover a muff punt from the 49ers, if, I, if I'm correct on that one. So there's not much else better play you can ask from from the rest of the team. Now, last year when this game happened in AT&T Stadium, it was the opposite. The defense didn't step up. You know, some of the playmakers didn't step up for the game. This year, it was Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott threw two interceptions, and they were bad ones. The first one... I don't know if it was miscommunication with him or Gallup or not, but he threw that ball right to the defense. The second interception, Ward, uh, the defensive back for the 49ers, made a great play on CeeDee Lamb that he didn't see, and he got picked off by Fred Warner. Th those are the turnovers you cannot have in the playoffs, and everyone's been saying that, including myself, is that the turnovers are the problem. And that, that killed the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Cowboys fans, was the turnovers. Dak Prescott cost the Dallas Cowboys the game. Nobody else did. Because the defense played well, they were able to hold a, the, one of the top offenses in the league to only 19 points when they averaged 36. Re special teams played fantastic. Your receivers play, or your top wide receiver played fantastic. The running game, I understand, was a little shocked, but they did the best they could. Who else is there to blame? There isn't anybody else. Dak Prescott turned the ball over, and that's what ultimately was the decision maker. He, his turnovers killed the Dallas Cowboys. And now... The Dallas Cowboys will be sitting on the couch watching the NFC Championship from Dallas instead of going to Philadelphia and playing for a championship. And one of the things he said earlier today, or uh, it was whenever the their post game conference was, I believe it was the other day. You know, he said it's a hundred. You know, it's a, it's unacceptable. It's a hundred percent on me. And I don't disagree with him because there's nobody else we can put the finger at. There just isn't. My concern for the Dallas Cowboys, as I've been, you know, I said before, was not the corner, was not Dak. It was the corners. The concern I have with Dak is just the interceptions. That was the biggest concern I had for Dak Prescott. 
was the interceptions that he was throwing. And with that, I was, like I said, I was more concerned with corners. And not necessarily the interceptions because Dak was finding a way to win. That was an example of Dak Prescott was the problem. It was not the defense. Because as I stated, only 19 points. Dak Prescott cost us the game. And there's no one else we can blame. No one else played, you know, that poorly. It was just him. They put the 40, he put the 49ers in a good position with those two turnovers. And that's what killed that offense. Now, the next question I've been asked about, you know, with, you know, being a Cowboys fan and everything is, is it time to move on from Dak Prescott? Is it time to finally say, you know what, let's start making some phone calls, see what we can get for Dak and possibly go to the draft or find another quarterback hitting the free agency? I'm not sure now. Before, I used to say, no, I, I want Dak Prescott. You know, I thought he, you know, I think that he can run, he can run Kellen Moore's offense well enough. But after after this past weekend, I'm not sure anymore. I'm just not. Because, I, you know, I'm a big believer in Dak, and I think he puts us in the best position. But, I, you know, that kind of play and the play he's had all season, it didn't help his case. Now I'm stuck wondering, should we actually go see what's available? Because he's 0-3 in the divisional round. He's 2-6 in playoff play. And I believe the only other person with that record was Tony Romo, and we stuck with Romo for a very long time. I don't know if we're going to stick with Dak very long now. I really don't. Seventh year in the league and not made an NFC championship game. He has not won a divisional round because he lost. Um, he I know he lost to the Packers, the Rams, and now the 49ers. He lost his rookie year, I believe his third year, and now this year in the divisional round. And it's becoming a pattern. He's not coming up big when we actually need him. And the worst part of it is, is that he's like the inconsistent play that keeps on happening with him is getting bigger and bigger because against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I know they were a little bit of a lesser defense, you know, this time around. He made he threw five touchdowns. He you know, and he's shown that he could play at such a high level. He's shown it. He's played at a high level before. It's not like he's been bad his whole career and there's you know, there's a reason why we gave him all that money, all that guaranteed money, mind you. You know, he's making top player money. And he's not coming up big. And it's, it's a concern. And now it's, you know, putting doubt in Cowboys fans and probably in the ownership. One of the crazy things that I uh, I saw earlier today was that the Dallas Cowboys Twitter page, um, if you go to their article, I don't know if it's still, as of this episode, I believe it's still up. I'm not really sure. But if you go check out the Dallas Cowboys Twitter page, they, kind, they threw little jabs at Dak Prescott. I believe they're saying like his turnovers, you know, with the 49ers and the bad play cost us the game. And and some people were thinking, well, it must have been hacked. No, because it goes through a you know a main social media person. You know, it goes through somebody. Someone has to approve it when you you know, especially if you work for a big organization like that. And it takes a lot for your own organization to do that. Because even like when teams lose, you know, typically they don't put like pictures of you losing or they don't make those kinds of comments like that. And the Cowboys Twitter just threw those kinds of jabs at Dak Prescott. And that should kind of put you in the mindset of. Wow, the organization may not believe, may not have faith in Dak Prescott anymore. Because I, I'm sure I'm not the only one having this, you know, this kind of feeling, of, you know, kind of giving up on Dak. And I don't want to give up on Dak. I really don't. But he's not making it easy. He just isn't making it easy, because he will play great and then he'll play really bad. And this season was one of those examples of him not playing up to the level that we know he can play at. And 
I don't think we're going to get rid of him this season. I think he will be the starting quarterback going into 2023 uh, come fall. But do I think he will be the quarterback the following year? That's up for debate. Because if he does not play good this upcoming season, I was I would honestly start thinking about making some phone calls and seeing what you can get for Dak. I don't know if Jerry Jones is going to do that now. And the only reason why I say it may be next year and not this year is because I do not see um, many teams taking that contract. Like especially like teams like the the Ravens who don't want to pay Lamar Jackson. Do you really think a team is gonna take Dak Prescott's contract? Unless they're very desperate, which I don't see a lot of teams calling for Dak Prescott right about now. Unless somebody does really want him that bad. But you know, maybe keep your options open and then see what you can get for Dak Prescott or see if anybody wants Dak Prescott. But I think if he does not play good next season, and at least we don't try to get to the NFC championship. He's out. He's going to be gone because there's no excuse for her playing seven to eight years in the league. And he has not at least made an NFC championship, especially with having a talented roster that he's been surrounded with. Now, I believe earlier uh, today on speak or the other day on speak, the show Joey Taylor uh, hosts with uh, Emmanuel Acho and the shady McCoy. And they were saying, uh, I believe I forgot. I'm blanking on his name. And uh, the Cowboys insider, you know, he was saying that, well, maybe because they weren't so aggressive when Amari Cooper got traded uh, to go get more help for Dak. And you can make that argument to a degree, uh, to a point, because, you know, having a strong second wide receiver will definitely help your quarterback. But it is not excused that your quarterback still turned the ball over, you know, through more interceptions than everybody in the NFL. And he was out for six weeks that, you know, that doesn't excuse that kind of play. So. With that, I'm going to end on this sad note because it, it just bums me out and it bums out Cowboys Nation. Um, Dak Prescott just flat out needs to play better. That you know that quote he said, like, that's unacceptable. This is 100% on me. You're right. This is 100% on you because you are the one that's in charge. You're the leader in the locker room. You can't lo- – don't lose the locker room. Try not to because once the locker room starts giving up on Dak, I think that's where we're going to have a bigger problem. But – as of right now, I, I truly believe Dak Prescott will be back in the fall. All I can do is hope that he's going to play better. And hopefully he fixes his mistakes in the offseason because we uh, Cowboys fans and the Dallas Cowboys can't go through that again. And here's the worst part of it all. The worst part. The team is probably not going to be as good as it was this year. Here's why. Here's some notable people possibly leaving. Dalton Schultz is going to be a free agent. Tony Pollard is going to be a free agent. Terrence Steele, the left tackle who was injured, is going to be a free agent. Jason Peters is going to be a free agent. Leighton Vanderish on defense will be a free agent. Not And to only add on top of that, Kellen Moore has been offered you know, head coaching jobs by teams, and so has Dan Quinn. So possibly we're going to lose a lot of players due to free agency, and we might lose our two coordinators uh, for head coaching jobs. I don't know about Dan Quinn. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. But I can definitely see possibly Kellen Moore going somewhere else. And I don't know if they're, you know, unless we get Greg Roman somehow, but I highly doubt it. But, you know, it's a possibility Dak's going to lose his offensive coordinator and probably some of his weapons. I believe Noah Brown uh, is going to be gone too. T.Y. Hilton's going to be gone. And that's that's going to be a concern for Dak because he's losing some of his players. Uh, I believe Ezekiel Elliott might come up on his uh, free agency as well. I think he's getting close. I know he did say he'll take a pay cut to help the team, which is great. You know, thank you for being a team player. But all in due time, and we'll just have to see. Uh, I mourn for Cowboys Nation and how 
how rocky of a hill the season was and just to end it like, you know, for having to end like that on a close game that was winnable. That, and that's the explanation point uh, that I will end on this is that that game was winnable and Dak Prescott did not execute. And there's not much else you can say about that. Next up, the Bang- the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Buffalo Bills 27-10. to Now, I'm going to start with the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow played fantastic. He outplayed Josh Allen, hands down, and he took it to the Buffalo Bills defense. He was 23 for 36, 242 yards and two touchdowns. He just outplayed Josh Allen, hands down. There's no other way to argue that and no way to explain that. That Buffalo defense could not stop that that offense in the snow. And one of the things that I think was kind of like just a – uh, just kind of sums up how the game went for the Buffalo Bills is when Tredavious White and I believe uh, Poyer, the safety, they clashed into each other and Tredavious White still got flagged for pass interference and set up the Cincinnati Bengals to be in the red zone. That just summed up how the defense was playing that whole game is because, you know, Joe Mixon was running all over that defense. Joe Mixon's stats, he was a, he ran for 105 yards and one touchdown. Like there's no, there's, that the Buffalo Bills defense just didn't just didn't show up. That's just all it was. That defense that at least you know does enough to you know set up Josh Allen to win those games did not did not do it this week. He did not. You know they were missing tackles. They were not able to you know take down Jamar Chase or cover Jamar Chase. I believe uh, Hayden Hurst, the tight end, was getting wide open when they were trying to cover deep with all the three wide receivers. And the Cincinnati Bengals just you know had a better offensive scheme than the Buffalo Bills did. And that's all I have to say about the Cincinnati uh, Bengals. Congratulations to you guys to making it to the AFC Championship for a second year in a row. Next up, I'm going to talk about the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, 25 for 42, 265 yards, 1 INT, 26 rushing yards, and a touchdown. Josh Allen has had, you know, after getting eliminated, he had four total turnovers in the two playoff games he's played. Four turnovers. Last episode, I, I stated that Josh Allen and his concern with me is the turnovers. Turnovers is going to cost Josh Allen the games, and that's exactly what happened. You know, he threw the pick. It cost him the game. It just did. Now, I'm not going to say this is all Josh Allen's fault. I'm not, because the defense definitely did not help the situation. Josh Allen was not the problem like how Dak was, but he was definitely not helping the situation with not playing. And I believe I heard someone complain about, well, he was playing in the snow. No, I don't buy that. Because he played in the snow against Miami, and they beat Miami with Tua Tungavailoa uh, playing. I do agree. There was no running game, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest things the Buffalo Bills need to do going into the offseason is getting a running back. And I'll get to that in a moment because the offense right now revolves around Josh Allen. Is Josh Allen a bust? It's either his big arm or running like a semi and running over everybody. That's the offense that uh, Sean McDermott is running with the Buffalo Bills right about now. And it's clearly only getting them so far because they have an all-pro wide receiver in Stephon Diggs that, you know, is getting frustrated, as I said earlier in the episode, with him, you know, yelling at Josh Allen, storming out of the uh, facility, uh, the arena before all the coaching getting there, him scream, uh, Josh, you know, him screaming at Josh Allen on the sideline. We're seeing the frustration that is growing with your organization because they have a top five quarterback in the, you know, on their team, along with a top uh, top five wide receiver as well and then they have a probably a top 10 tight end in Knox and Gabe Davis who comes up big in the playoffs he's you know big game big game Gabe 
So it's not like they're set, you know, they're like in a position where they're not doing well. They they are putting, you know, they're set up to possibly at least get to a Super Bowl. Everyone had the Buffalo Bills going to the Super Bowl this year. A lot of people had the Buffalo Bills going this year, you know, over the Kansas City Chiefs who lost, you know, Tyree Kill. But now now who's in the AFC Championship this year? The Chiefs who lost Tyree Kill. They made it work somehow. Their offense that Josh Allen runs with the Buffalo Bills, it just it just centers around him, which is great, you know, because he's your star player. But what is becoming the issue is the no running game. You know, like I said in the last episode, their running game is very inconsistent. Either Singletary can go off for 100 yards or Josh Allen can almost get 100 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And that's great and all, but what happens when you put him in the situation where he gets hurt? Now you don't have Josh Allen to help you th either throughout the season or throughout the playoffs. And we saw, you know, we've seen an example of that with the Kansas City Chiefs, which we'll get to next with them and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, that's going to be one of the biggest things I think that the Buffalo Bills is going to have to do. They need to get a running back because if they want to at least get past the divisional round next year because Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere for a while. Joe Burrow is not going anywhere anytime soon. Tua Tungabailoa, if he comes back with that Miami offense, is not going anywhere. And if Lamar Jackson stays, Lamar Jackson's going to be there. You can maybe put in Justin Herbert. I mean... Um, I don't think Justin Herbert will get farther than the wild card. That's what he's kind of showing, you know, throughout the couple years he's played. But the AFC is only getting harder, and they and they are, he is going up against top quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, in my opinion, Joe Burrow just passed Josh Allen. Now, if you tell me who would I, you know, who are my picks for a quarterback? It's going to be Patrick, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, because Josh Allen is fumbling uh, in big games. He is turning the ball over, and that's not what I want from a quarterback. You know. As I say in the last in the last uh, episode, he was tied for second in the NFL for interceptions behind Dak Prescott and Davis Mills. He was tied with Derek Carr, who I said said before, bad season, and Kirk Cousins, who had one of the weirdest seasons this year. And Josh Allen was tied with them. You know, a top five quarterback should not be at least in that area of interceptions. And he's just turning the ball over, and that's a result of how they're running their offense. So if they can get at least a good running back, some free agent running backs are hitting the market this year. Tony Pollard from the Dallas Cowboys. He's a free agent. You know, it hurts me to say that they might go get him, but he would definitely help. Josh Jacobs, the running back for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, who had a fantastic year this year, he's going to be available. Miles Sanders is going to be available. I believe Dante Freeman is going to be available for the Carolina Panthers. So they have options to get a running back. I believe Singletary, the actual running back for the Buffalo Bills, is going to be a free agent as well. I would think about not signing him and maybe getting another running back or going or getting one in the draft. Because clearly what is going on is that they cannot, you know, just revolve around Josh Allen anymore. They just can't. And probably for defense, they just miss Von Miller. I think that was the bigger thing with the defense. Is Von, Von Miller and his playoff, you know, his playoff, you know, appearances he's had, you know, Super Bowl MVP. He had a Super Bowl 50. You know, they definitely missed him because, he, you know, he just helps out on that defensive end being a leader. So I think that that's really what's going to be. And when Von Miller comes back next season, that defense will, you know, definitely take that next step forward. But offensively for the Buffalo Bills, if they want to get farther than the, than the divisional round, they're going to need a running back. And make amends with Stephon Diggs before he may decide he might want to leave. Because the way he was frustrated in that game and, you know, storming off and going to Twitter, it's not looking good and for the Buffalo Bills. So, you know, but congratulations to the Bengals for make, for moving on. Last game of the weekend, the Chiefs versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I will start off with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence, tw uh, two for 17, one touchdown and one INT. Now, I didn't expect them to win a game. I don't think anybody really did. They were close, but I did not expect them to. 
the defense definitely, you know, had a hard time, you know, holding the Chiefs. The only reason why they were able to stop Patrick Mahomes is because of the injury, which we'll get to that in a moment. And then the interception at the you know towards the end of the game killed the Jacksonville Jaguars' hopes of coming back in the game. But, but, Jaguars fans, look at this as a glass half full. Keep in mind, last year they did not finish at top of their division. They didn't even make the playoffs. Urban Meyer had to leave. They were they did not have a head coach. Doug Peterson came in and definitely turned that organization around. I think with a couple more pieces, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be scary going into the future. Trevor Lawrence is showing that he's going to be their franchise quarterback. There was definitely no doubt in that whenever he got drafted. But definitely a couple more pieces on that offense. You know, fix the offensive line, protect him. You know, know, maybe in the free agency, try to get some defense. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, they look legit. You know, we saw it when they came back down 27-0 and won the game. So I think they're 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 heading in the right direction. You know, I didn't expect them to go like super far into the playoffs. I didn't I knew they were not going to get past the Kansas City Chiefs, but you know, they're they're in the right direction. They're in the they're in the right slope up going into the offseason going into the next year. So, you know, congratulations to you guys. Moral victories all around, you know, and you know, congrats to Doug Peterson for, you know, turning that organization around and for Trevor Lawrence having a better year and I'm going to call it. They're going to be dangerous in the next couple of years. If they can, like I said, if they can get more pieces around them, help out Trevor Lawrence and, you know, maybe a little help on defense, they're probably going to win the AFC South for a very long time because I don't really see the Titans getting any better with Ryan Tannehill. Malik Willis wasn't doing any good. Derrick Henry is the only good thing coming out of Tennessee right about now. Um, the Houston Texans, they're going to take a while to get better. And it, it's going to be their division to win, in my opinion. Like, I think that it's going to be theirs, you know, to win it and go to the playoffs every year. So, you know, We'll just have to, you know, hold off on that one. But Jacksonville, you know, you're on the right path. I commend you guys for, you know, trying your best and, you know, commend you guys on the step forward you guys are taking. And, hey, give Trevor Lawrence a sponsorship with Waffle House. I will watch that commercial hands down. All right, but I'm going to move over to the Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes, 22 for 30, 145, two touchdowns. My big thing, um, not on the play of the Kansas City Chiefs because they played well. The defense did well enough to stop Trevor Lawrence you know, to make a comeback and win the game at the end. My big concern with Patrick Mahomes is the high ankle sprain that he received. If any of you saw the hit that he took, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see my arm as I demonstrate. But if you're listening to this on Spotify, my arm is going to be his leg and he got tackled and his his knee got bent and his ankle got, you know, kind of squished down. And that was a concern because he was hobbling everywhere just to do a simple handoff was a problem for him. He was limping all game. I believe that he said that he's not, you know, it's just a high ankle sprain, nothing to worry about. I don't know, because that, that did not look good. And the and here's why I'm concerned, is because his mobility. You know, his mobility is what makes him great. To be able to run out of the pocket and do those crazy throws, throw off his back foot. We saw it at Texas Tech, and we're seeing it how it's working, you know, how it's translating in the NFL. And you take away his mobility, he's going to be a sitting duck. You know, he's already kind of a fast guy, but you take, you know, you take away the, the mobility, it's going to be, it's going to be a little hard. And definitely we saw in some passes he made, you know, whenever you step back as a quarterback, your back foot is kind of like a placement and you're able to throw it a little with a little bit more accuracy without it. Now he's, you know, it's kind of harder to kind of get that ball to go or at least go in the right direction, especially if he likes to throw off his back foot, which is the one, the foot that got injured. And they said it's it's doing fine. He should be good to play going into this Sunday. You know, I believe them, but it's definitely something to watch out for um, going into this game, especially with Cincinnati and how 
much momentum they got going into this with their defense playing stellar against Josh Allen, you know, holding the only 10 points and we'll have to see what's going to have him, you know, what's going to happen with, with Patrick and they're probably going to warm up Chad, Henney. Chad Henney's going to have to probably stay warm because they may have to go to him. If anything happens, chiefs will do three step drop off passes to help him not. Yeah, that's a good point. The only issue I have with that is that they do not have a fast wide receiver anymore. Like Tyree kill to help him. Kind of get that. Juju Smith's kind of been inconsistent a little bit this year. Marquez Vantley, uh, uh, Marquez Scantley, you know, he's done, you know, well enough. The only person I can see really helping is going to be Travis Kelsey, which is all he really needs, to be honest. So, you know, being the best tight end in the league and all. So, I think the Chiefs will be fine. It's just they're going to have to figure something out with this limited mobility that Patrick Mahomes is going to have going into the AFC Championship. Now, to, we're going to finish off the episode with some game picks. Who do I think is going to go to the Super Bowl? First up, the 49ers and the Eagles. As I said earlier, the cause of concern for the 49ers is going to be the for, uh, the way that the defense is being stopped. Uh, their defense is definitely going to be the biggest key, I think, going into this game. Because the Eagles were flying high, and they looked like uh, Jalen Hurts did not look like he skipped a beat. He did not look like he was out. And, they, you know, that defense is kind of clicking on it again. And if you saw the Eagles game, they blew out the Giants, who flopped. They did not let Saquon Barkley take over, and they just they dominated 38-7. to It's going to be tough because it is going to come down to defense, in my opinion, for the 49ers. And my concern is what I said earlier about the Dallas Cowboys defense. They were able to figure out Brock Purdy. You know, they figured out how to run, how to stop that, that, that offense. And I'm pretty sure Philadelphia is going to go into the film room and look at that. But I'm going to have to give it to... The Philadelphia Eagles. They're going to be your next NFC yeah. champions. Next, the Bengals and the Chiefs. This is going to be another close game. However, I love Patrick Mahomes. He's a Red Raider. I'm a Red Raider. Don't get me wrong. But Joe Burrow is undefeated against Patrick Mahomes. He's probably the only quarterback to say that in the NFL. The Bengals are riding high coming off a big win against one of the best teams in the AFC. I'm going to have to go with Joe Shiesty. I don't think I could pick against him because the way he's able to efficiently run that offense, Joe Mixon being a beast, the and Patrick Mahomes being limited, uh, Sam Huggard is probably going to be all over Patrick Mahomes. They're going to try to set up quick screens to help, you know, kind of get that pressure off Patrick, you know, try to set up Travis Kelsey. But the Bengals are going to come prepared. And I think Joe Burrow knows that. And he has that great confidence that probably everybody wants, you know, in themselves. He's just confident. You know, he's so confident he, you know, in going into the games. He doesn't see himself as an underdog. I think somebody interviewed him after a practice and they asked, you know, do you feel like the underdog? He said, no, I don't feel like an underdog. He's confident in himself. And I like that. And I think the Bengals can go to the Super Bowl again. They may win it. But we're going to have to see after this Sunday. But I do have the Cincinnati Bengals pulling out a win against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I will have them going against the Philadelphia Eagles at the Super Bowl in Arizona. Alrighty, guys, but uh, it's going to be a wrap-up on this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Remember to follow the podcast on social media at CAV Sports Podcast or CAV Sports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And this episode will be on YouTube later today, and it will also be on Spotify. And if you guys want to catch up on any other episodes you missed, uh, any previous episodes make sure you check out the youtube channel at cva sports podcast and also on spotify cav sports podcast but thank you guys so much for tuning in have a great rest of your day